It's time to stop dealing and start demanding. It's time to stop being PC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get real. Prepare yourself. It's time for Crazy and the King. Happy Valentine's week. Welcome to Crazy and the King. So in case you missed our last episode, Torin and I committed to try to find some good feeling DNI stories for our very first Valentine's episode. Tough, tough call. And then the week happened. So we may not have a lot of love this Valentine's week for our companies, but we're going to wrap it up on a happy note. But first, let's get into the dirt and talk about how to do it better. Yeah, what a week. I mean, we learned of several disappointing and raging affronts on people of color. Uh, And this time when I say people of color, I specifically mean those that are black. Because I do believe that all of us fit under the definition of color. Um, But in this particular case, people that are black and and it happened in spaces from entertainment and fashion to politics and even protected workplaces. And I mean, I just got to tell you, Julie, uh, a lot of people are exhausted and and rightfully so. And, you know, I think we should probably go start a GoFundMe to establish a new union to fight corporate racism. What do you think about that? Well, little note about me. I grew up in the Midwest in a GM town. And my whole family is roots in blue collar union labor. So you get full buy in from me. I think when workers and consumers start taking our voice back, a lot of this is going to have to change. And I just want people to understand that a union really is there to advocate and defend the interests of his or her employees. When workplace assaults and infractions regarding race materialize, that is the type of union that I'm talking about. And I'm serious as as serious as I am black and breathing. I am really, really exhausted with these assaults of denigration, of disregard and gross stupidity by, in this case, white men. Um, Just really, really frustrating. Actually, you know, um, and before we get into the first story, you know, our dear friend, very, very supportive of Crazy and the King, Mr. Chris Fields down in Memphis, he asked on social media, has anyone ever wore blackface? You'll be surprised. So look, I found this story. It's a story about a principal uh, who is in Pennsylvania. And and I know that the week really started with the buzz around Liam Neeson and, you know, all of the Virginia politicians and stories like Gucci. But I'm going to just focus on this principal in Pennsylvania. It's an elementary school principal who has since apologized after a photo surfaced of her posing as television personality Steve Harvey in blackface. Now, let me ask you, Julie, this principal, elementary school principal, she decided to dress up as Steve Harvey. She wore something to cover her face in the color of black. And so my question to you, Julie, oh, and mind you, there were no students enrolled in school that day. I believe that this was like a professional development day. Julie, do you think it is ever okay to wear blackface? No, period. Stop. Torn, you're you're just spot on here because we could have spent we could spend two hours talking about Liam Neeson and Virginia and Gucci, but where you focused your time was at the the local level where people are making decisions every single day to be spiteful or to be willfully ignorant. And I, I think in this conversation, I'm I'm gonna try to play dumb white girl a little bit. And, and say, I grew up in the early or the late 80s, early 90s, and we knew that blackface wasn't okay. And I don't think that we can soft this off as a general generational issue. But 
I don't know how to raise awareness so that we can just stop and, and do better and get people like this principal who you, you're going to tell us about to just do better. Yeah. So what happened was, uh, of course, the picture got out and I believe it was uh, an individual that worked in one of the support functions inside of the elementary school. And and in that support function, she had the uh, the presence of mind. She was present for this particular uh, staff development day and she captured a photo. Uh, she sent it out via Twitter. Uh, as you'll learn in the story, um, she sent it out via Twitter and and then she attached to it um, language around the fact that the the uh, school district or the superintendent of the district did nothing to reprimand um, uh, this principal. And so the district then felt the need to have to respond. And, and so they wanted to correct uh, this the support staff person. And, and basically what the superintendent said, and I'm paraphrasing, number one, the principal apologized immediately. Number two, she was uh, reprimanded to some degree. She did not lose employment, but she was addressed and reprimanded uh, in some way by the superintendent. Uh, and so number three, the, the superintendent simply wanted to to uh, allay the concern or the, the narrative uh, that had been floating that she and her, her team had done nothing. And she also wanted to combat the uh, the tone, the language that was out that she was a very good friend, a close friend with this principal. And, and I don't see that to be uh, a surprise. You know, if, if you're a superintendent of a school district, uh, you know, just like you could be an executive inside of one of our enterprise companies, I don't see anything wrong with you being friends with uh, a manager or a leader in your organization. So uh, again, in this particular story, I just think that you know, what's really important here, Julie, and I appreciate your transparency, sharing where you grew up, how you grew up. I appreciate your position that it's not the right thing to do. Uh, in short, I'm, I'm not going to give a history lesson on blackface, nor attempt to explore how this activity has roots all around the world. And when I say all around the world, I mean China, the Netherlands, Brazil, all around the world, people are rocking for whatever reason, blackface. And they consider themselves doing it in a celebratory manner. And Julie, let me just tell you that progress for me is in part allowing those that are suffering to speak their truth. Let me say that again. Progress is in part allowing those that are suffering to speak their truth. Do not argue or shout me down and tell me that you didn't mean to offend me. Because I understand the actions that are taken, things that are said, they, they sometimes happens in error. I get that. And I'm willing to take perhaps your apology. But what I'm not willing to do and what I encourage all people of color to not do is to never, ever back down or feel like you should allow someone to holler and scream at you when they were the ones that were wrong. When you are wrong or told that you have been offensive, you need to fall back. You need to sit there and listen, drop an apology and shut up. That's all you have to do. You don't need to go through a whole lot of explaining. You don't need to go through a combative posture. Just fall back and shut up. We'll post a link to the article uh, below the uh, podcast. We definitely encourage all of you to read it.
even though this one deals with the school district and school system. Yeah, absolutely, Torn. I don't think you could say it better, and I don't think that I need to say a whole lot else about the matter other than, hey, white people, don't wear blackface, period. So what, what about this next article, Torn? Are you ready to jump into uh, the nonsense with General Motors? I'm going to let you drive it because I remember in pod one, uh, you really wanted to uh, abbreviate our recording schedule and you wanted to hop in and do, uh, you know, a, a brief segment for like five or six minutes when the story broke a couple of weeks ago. And I said, no, let's just stay on schedule. And then you sent this one over and I said, you know, this lady is being uh, reticent. She's like combative <laughs> with me. She's like, I'm talking about this GM thing because I'm thinking, I'm thinking you went back a couple of weeks and I look at the date. The first thing that I looked at under the title was the date, which was February 8th. So I said, uh, it's all yours. Take it away. I'll be honest. This is this story is personal to me. Like I said a few minutes ago at the opening, I, I grew up in, in Midwest Indiana and I grew up in a GM town. Uh, GM put food on the, the dinner table you know, for my family, my family gets a pension from, from General Motors. Even though I, I was definitely looking for a way to get this story into one of our pods, this this new piece from CNN uh, just a couple of days ago really got me going again and, and brought this back to the surface. And so a little context, if you haven't read the story, there's some incredibly powerful videos that go along with the original and the follow-up story, is that a plant in Toledo, Ohio um, has had two black workers who have filed suit against GM, um, which actually happened in, I believe, April of 2018, saying that GM was not responsive in creating a safe and non-hostile work environment because of the things that were happening in that plant in particular. And we're not talking about, and Julie, we're not talking about blue collar workers. We're actually talking about uh, management supervisory uh, individuals. Am yeah, I correct? So we're, we're talking about the the two employees that were six figure salaried employees. They were leaders in their organization, white collar management, that kind of thing. And I think we get into that habit when we hear these kind of stories of thinking that these are just tobacco spitting. Yeah, you know, tobacco spitting. Uh, what we want to call them rednecks and pickup trucks and all of that. And, and you know, I think that that's an unfair characterization on those folks. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this this stuff happens with folks that put on thousand dollar, two thousand dollar suits, thousand dollar shoes. Keep going. Yeah, and I think it's easy to dismiss racism as a socioeconomic issue. Uh, racism exists at all levels. And, and this is just a, a further proving of that. And, you know, we just talked about how maybe this principle didn't mean for her blackface to be offensive. And, and the and the white teachers who sat around didn't think that that person meant for things to be offensive. This GM story is the other side of extremism. And, and they were hanging nooses in work areas, right? So at a GM plant in Toledo, they were hanging nooses in the plant. There were scrawlings on the walls that said this is for whites only there were swastikas there was a overt tone in this plant that said racism is okay and the behavior of subordinates and the behavior of leadership allowed this to continue to the place that we have to have these two gentlemen file a lawsuit against one of the largest employers in the world to try to get this culture to change. And, you know, uh, Julie, one of the things that I found 
uh, so revealing in this story is that just the blatant acceptance by GM's leadership to do that whole, quote, let's all get along type response and to now finally find it important enough to to try to go through some level of damage control. But let me ask you, in this story, there is uh, a twenty five thousand dollar reward being offered. And who is that being offered by? So GM decided to offer a twenty five thousand dollar reward to find out and locate the culprits of these blatantly racist attacks against black employees at this GM um, location in, in Toledo. And I think what's interesting, and and actually before I go into that, I want to say that not only is GM responsible here for their lack of action um, or or true action, they took some action, but it didn't alleviate the problem. And there was a lot of like, hey, if you want to grow in this company, you just have to, to keep on keeping on and you have to get along and put this aside. And that's unacceptable. But the UAW, who represented these workers in Toledo, failed to protect their Black union members. Absolutely. They said, and I'm quoting, there are bad actors, but it's not widespread intentional racism. And maybe people need to stop being so sensitive in today's yeah. day and age. Out loud, out loud. Sorry, I'm I'm beside myself. It just goes to show, you know, I have absolutely no cut card uh, as it relates to racism. I'm not giving anyone uh, a pass. I don't care who it is. If it's someone that is black, that is uh, practicing in racism and being disrespectful and denigrating uh, to other employees, I'm calling them out the very same way that I would call out white men. And I just find it really, really repulsive Um, You know, that the UAW would say that we are being too sensitive, which goes back to my point. Allow those that are suffering to speak their truth. You shut the fuck up. Hell yes. And so being the uh, the 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 dog with the bone or the complete nerd that I am, I actually went and paid to get the lawsuit filings from the Pacer system for um, this trial and several things that stood out to me that were incredibly interesting and and telling. So this whole $25,000 reward and GM statements now, this happened in 2017. The lawsuit was filed in early 2018. And GM really just started responding because of pressure and negative publicity, which we hear a a lot in these DNI stories. But in the lawsuit and the response to the complaint, right? GM admits that over a period of several years, it received and investigated complaints concerning racial hostility in this Toledo plant. They also admitted in the court that the nooses on three separate occasions were found hanging in their machinery department. And they also admitted that there were writings on the wall. So none of those base pieces of the complaint are in question. But they said in their filing that the the two African-American gentlemen who filed the lawsuit have no right to relief, which means they have no right to dollars or change in, in GM's behavior because they failed to mitigate or otherwise avoid harm themselves. So they are responsible for having changed this behavior at GM. And because I guess they didn't quit their job or whatever GM thinks is appropriate here, they don't deserve relief. And that any injury, and I'm quoting, 
was due in whole or in part by their own actions, inactions, or negligence or acts of third parties. And that's a lot of legalese to say GM says we have no responsibility here and that we did nothing wrong, even though they have admitted in legal filings that these things did happen. Incredible. It just continues to show that uh, we have uh, some work to do. And again, when when the week started to unfold with all of these images of blackface, uh, you know, one of the tweets that I put out is, you know, the, the, the sad thing is that these three individuals and in this photo, it happened to be three people. Uh, I said the, the the sad thing is that these three individuals are in your workplace right now. Uh, and so I understand that people can change and that their hearts and minds uh, do change. But um, as a corporate entity uh, for this posture to be taken and displayed, um, I, I'm just not happy about that. And most certainly uh, I feel like as a consumer, it's one of those things where you make a decision as to how you support uh, that organization. That's just how I feel about it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I would say, I think you said the best word, exhausted. I get exhausted. And, and as, a, as a white person, I think my, my mind is just blown every single week right now because I am so much more aware and, and awake to the racism that exists on every level. And we've talked... Or, or we, I think we felt as a, as a community and as a country that we've come so far and that, you know, we're putting this long, dark history behind us, but we're not. And, and, and we have to be as vigilant and as honest and transparent, I think, as we've ever been, because that progress can be lost. And we're seeing some of those really dark figures come out of the woodwork and say that this behavior is okay and that it's acceptable and we should all just stop being such snowflakes about it. And that's that's not right. No, and as long as I'm present, I am not going to uh, be okay with it. That's just the bottom line. But I do have a good story. Uh, and this Yay. one, I think that you will um, also appreciate uh, the business case for people with disabilities via the World Economic Forum which took place a few weeks ago, and I found a video. It's going to be a different link for us. Normally, we push stories out, but this one is an hour-long video. And so it was actually uh, titled The Accessibility Revolution. Uh, it happened on the main stage at the World Economic Forum. Uh, it included some CEOs from Fujitsu, Accenture, North America, Unilever, and some additional you know, high-profile high voices from Bloomberg and Procter and & Gamble. And out the gate, Julie, they acknowledged how important it was to have this conversation at this time on this uh, agenda on such an influential st stage. And and really what what it did was it highlighted the fact that we even have or they even had uh, competitors trying to work towards collaborative, uh, you know, conversation and, and, and decisions and progress around including people with disabilities. And Caroline Casey, who moderated the conversation, says, quote, disability is a very personal issue that each of us will experience some with the, someone with a disability, end quote, because she is legally blind. And Julie, this struck me uh, as it served as a reminder of why we are doing this pod and and why we opted for the name Crazy and the King. Can you speak to the number among us uh, that have some 
perhaps disability or hidden disability. Yeah, I think this is a, a great conversation to be having, and I'm so excited that they had it at, at Davos, and I think that's a great first step. Um, but when we're thinking about U.S. stats of, on, on disability, in August, the CDC changed their estimate that one in five Americans have a disability to one in four Americans have a disability. And 80% of those disabilities are hidden, which means you won't see them or you won't know about them unless we tell you about them. What's even especially close to home in my heart is that one in five U.S. adults have a mental health disability, including myself. We are really, in my opinion, the kind of last bastion of disability and inclusion. There's so much fear and there's so much stigma related to mental health issues. I really appreciated in this video the consistent call out to hidden disabilities and a little bit to mental health disabilities. I think that is a sign of of good progress. Yeah. And so, you know, in this video, uh, you will uh, those that are view those that view such you, you will also see that uh, the question was asked, why do we have this competing agenda around diversity, equity and inclusion in our organizations? You know, why do um, or why is it that when we talk about uh, DEI or diversity, equity, and inclusion, do we only focus on women or do we only focus on people of color or, uh, you know, why is it that we do that? And in part, I understand because you have, you know, finite attention, finite resources to some degree. And so you try to prioritize how you're going to attack uh, the issue. And so on one side, I appreciate the fact that we're having the conversation. On the other side, I'm hoping that we can get to a point where we can stop asking and start demanding that we can make sure that disability, uh, people with disabilities are included in the entire conversation, that we can have a more expanded conversation. I don't want organizations to feel like they have to pick and choose. I'd like for them to be able to have comprehensive conversations as well as strategies. Julie, what do you think? Yeah, I, and I think Carolyn called this out really distinctly in the conversation that, you know, 90% of companies prioritize diversity, only 4% include disability in their diversity outreach. And, and I do agree in the intro to Crazy and the King, it says we're, we're going to stop asking and start demanding. And if you don't have disability as part of your diversity inclusion strategy, it's not by accident. It's either by ignorance or willful exclusion of, of my community, one in four Americans, and a huge part of your potential workforce. And the thing that, I, you know, when we talk about why, why disability isn't included, I think there are several reasons. And I think the, the easy one is kind of the historical piece. Uh, affirmative action programs, inclusion programs really started out of requirements for federal contractors. And that started with race and gender. And so when companies, when the government started requiring companies to be more inclusive, a couple of decades, at least before veterans and people with disabilities were included in that conversation, we focused on race and gender. And that has just become the habit. And dis diversity and inclusion leaders and corporate leaders really are still struggling with expanding that scope outside of the original, even though there are follow-up regulations of including other communities. And outside of the, the regulations, there's a definite defined business benefit for including people with disabilities, LGBTQ veterans, but they're not adopting it yet. And I think the the biggest reason for people with disabilities is lack of comfort 
There's still so much fear and stigma around disability and the risk that that might cause for including people like myself in your workforce. And Carolyn makes a good a good point. I think everyone on the panel did a really nice job of saying, you know, that that's no longer an acceptable answer to why disability isn't included in your DNI strategy. Yeah. So let me say this. Um, I think that there are some really, really good high points uh, that are in this hour long video. Yeah. And I encourage each of you uh, that are listening to go uh, down to the link, click such and and to watch it. And when you watch it, you'll find some really good banter back and forth uh, as it relates to self-disclosure versus self-identification. Accenture and Fujitsu did a bang up job there. Uh, Bloomberg also also uh, contributed in that particular area. I think you'll also see that P P and G or Procter and Gamble is doing an incredible job on the uh, advertising side uh, with the commercial that they have out. And then I also feel like uh, down in that forty minute mark, as the video begins to come to a close, uh, you'll get some some gems as it relates to to mental health. And so, Julie, what really matters at the end of the day? What really matters is outcomes. Yeah, yeah. Period. What matters is that people are getting jobs and that when people are entering your company, you have programs and benefits in place that keep them at work. So I loved hearing Fujitsu really stood out to me is that they're getting up to like a 13% self-identification rate at this point. That, that's out the door. That's phenomenal. And they really did the best job of that whole panel of talking about outcomes and talking about hiring. But what I heard a lot of was really program-based and it was anecdotally based. So there were great stories and and we want to have the human side of, of disability because when we know people who have disabilities, when we're engaged with people who have disabilities, we can see them in our workforce. And that's why hiring matters. You can have great PR strategies. You can have great indexes that say you're doing an awesome job. If you haven't hired people, it doesn't mean shit, period. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So listen, I have a couple of quick mentions. Um, definitely really want to encourage you to take a look at that hour long video. It's well worth your time. Just a few quick mentions. Um, since we are in Black History Month, uh, we're going to put a link down for a eight minute video on uh, Essence Magazine. It's a really, really strong video. This young empress, she's 18 years old. I love how she speaks with confidence and about art and her contribution and being present. So take a look at that eight minute video uh, here in uh, Black, uh, Black History Month. And then last but not least, I uh, love to shout out Lyft. They are offering $10 credits uh, during Black History Month to cultural sites, to museums, and to memorials. And we will put the link down, but you can go to the Lyft blog uh, and find out all of the cities and all of the ride codes that you need in your respective city. So two great stories uh, to bring us to a close. Julie, what's going on in your world this week or later this month? Yeah, so it's it's going to be a fun month for me in February or the, the last half of February. I'm headed to New York City next week to kick off a brand new disability and inclusion program for a new client of, of my day job, Disability Solutions, where I get to build amazing programs where people get hired. 
And then the last week of February, I'll be hanging out at an awesome conference called The Gathering in Banff, Canada, um, with some of the most influential brands in the world and, and hopefully talking about some disability and inclusion with those leaders that are going to be there. What, what are you up to, Tor? So actually, uh, you can catch me at Hiring Success 19 later this month, hosted by Smart Recruiters. Uh, I believe that's February 26th and 27th. Uh, in San Francisco. I'll also be with uh, Craig Fisher of Talonet down in Austin on March 8th, uh, just doing some incredible conversations in uh, hiring success. I'm going to moderate a panel uh, called The Economic Value of Inclusion, Two Incredible Voices, perhaps a third one to join this week. Uh, And then down in Austin with Craig Fisher, I'm going to drop a heat-filled aspirational conversation titled Everybody Wants Ice Cream. So let me just say that for all of our listeners, uh, I close with love and I remind each of you that I have a formula that I'm extremely fond of. It's P minus I equals R. It stands for potential minus interference equals results. If you remember that formula, you approach this work of diversity, equity, and inclusion with intention. You will bring about the change that you expect in your workplace. Last but not least, catch me next Sunday on Sirius XM channel 126 discussing something that will add positiveness to your Monday. Thanks for joining us. Julie and I are ghosts. See ya. Thanks for listening to Crazy in the King podcast. I'm Julie Sowash, your co-host with Torn Ellis. Follow us on social media as Torn Ellis or Julie Sowash. And also follow our hashtag Crazy and the King. This episode was produced by my gorgeous husband, Chad Sowash. And our music is by DJ Sells, straight out of Baltimore. You can find Crazy and the King wherever you find your podcasts. Please rate us. And if you like it, share it with a friend. We'll see you soon. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.